Are you ready for this? We're here! <laughs> Hi, what's your name? Hi, I'm Ron Popeil. I chose anybody. Hi, what's your name? I'm Tom Purvis, trainer to the trainers. And Hi, I'm Mike Levy. Hold on to your power rod. But wait. What are you doing? Call now. Call now. Call now. Call now. Call or log on now. Call now. Call right now. Call in the next 18 minutes. Call in the next 16 minutes. Call in the next 7 minutes. Call these numbers right now. Hey, hello and welcome to Call Now, where we plunge headfirst into the surreal world of infomercial. And while we can't offer you free shipping, we can guarantee that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are definitely those of this network. Thank you, Tim. My name is Dan Sturdivant. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts on this three men we've known as Call Now. We've got the chairman and captain of the Arnold Morris fan club himself, Mark Pedrotti. Hello, Mark. You son of a bitch. Oh, and hey, this guy only shoots on a Panasonic GH5, Dave Sandrini. Hey, Dave. You're uh, just slipping out of the frame there. (laughs) Hey, just make sure I'm perfectly centered. My face is crooked. My jowls are strong. But the more important thing, guys, is... We had the opportunity to sit down and speak with none other than the man behind our favorite documentary, Pitch People. We got to talk to Stan Jacobs. Yeah, the guy who interrupted our millennial cynicism and uh, made us realize <laughs> that uh, these people actually work really hard and we should shut up and listen. How dare he? So yeah, we held his feet to the fire for doing that to us. I was a complete asshole before that day. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm back. This is great. So every time we interview a guest, it makes Mark regret everything he said. He tries to recant, correct the record, and this is his testimony. But more importantly, our full conversation with Stan Jacobs. Thanks, Stan. In the not too distant past, we took a detour from our regularly scheduled programming on Call Now, and rather than watch him break down a single infomercial. We went to the movies and we <laughs> talked about the 1999 documentary Pitch People, which in case any of our listeners missed that, that was episode 25 where we waxed poetic about the art of the pitch. We discovered or enhanced our love for certain pitch people and hosts. But most of all, we gave an education on the illness that is my obsession with infomercials, pitch people and the like to Dave, Mark and our audience. And now today we have the pleasure of speaking with someone who I suspect has or at least had. Uh, similar fascination with these people, products, and presentations. And joining us this evening is the man most responsible for this incredible documentary, Pitch People. He is the film's producer, director, and writer, Mr. Stan Jacobs. Stan, thank you so much for hanging out with us, and welcome to Call Now. Pleasure, guys. It's, I'm just tickled that there's a podcast devoted to infomercials. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And this is what I was hoping. I was thinking about how we got down this path of being now. Basically, I've poisoned Mark and Dave to also be obsessed with infomercials, which is you know, really one of my lifelong curiosities. Thanks, Dan. You're welcome. You're welcome for your part-time job, guys. But Stan, <laughs> so curious about what led you down the path initially and what sparked your curiosity and your fascination to put in the obvious time, effort, and energy to put together pitch people? Well, I I used to work for a a small ad agency in Santa Monica, California, and they produced advertising for financial firms. And along the way, this is in the late 80s, Mm -hmm. 84, they deregulated the airwaves, so they allowed advertisements more than two minutes. So then 30-minute commercials became something that a lot of entrepreneurs were trying out to advertise their product because regular advertising is so expensive. And this was 
there's a lot of extra cable time that was sold by the networks. Yeah. Off hours. Like you could buy a half hour of discovery when the satellite wasn't running their program. And uh, you could have <laughs> your show running there with a commercial. Yeah. It just had to be approved by the network. Yeah. So the company I worked for, there are some clients that came through with products and I did my first infomercial with them. So I basically, that was my start. And I eventually went on my own. So I produced infomercials. That's how I came to know all these people. No kidding. Oh, wow. So what are some of the infomercials and products that you actually put the infomercials themselves together for? Mention a few maybe that you've heard of. The Food Saver, which is a product that... Oh my gosh, that one raised me. <laughs> that was a big one for me. That was a lot of fun too. Uh, Jan and Nancy. Yeah, that's a classic. I love that one. <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing pitch guy. Nancy's great because she's along for the ride and she knows how to dance around the pitch guy. Such a pro. Yeah. yeah. There was one called the Jetstream Oven, which was after that. Now that one, you may not have heard it because that company eventually went out of business. It was a hot air cooker. Okay. There are products on the air now that do that. So this was one of the first ones. Like the original air fryer kind yeah, of. Yeah, use air and circulate. <laughs> what I did, like, this is it here. Oh, wow. No. Oh, yes. What was great about it was oh, yeah. <laughs> you could actually yeah. expand it with expander rings. So you can actually cook a whole turkey in it. Oh, shit. That's Whoa. incredible. Wow. It spins at the bottom? Yeah, there's, a, there's an electric fan on the top of the heating element. Oh, wow. And the uh, air around. And the guy that, that was the president of the company, Dave Dornbush, he invented the term cyclonic heating. That was what he called it. Yes. Yeah. That's everywhere now. We learned that one, yeah. He's yeah. still eating on that term. That's brilliant. <laughs> we hear that yeah. with everything, the dual cyclonic air, but cutting edge kitchen science. Like, oh, man. Yeah, he yeah. was actually the first one on TV that said, set it and forget it. It's in the original infomercial. Whoa. Oh, he Ooh. beat Ron to it? Yeah. Wow. yeah. But, you know, I think that was a phase that a lot of the fairies, the pitch guys and the fairies are using. So Dave probably heard it there. I'm not sure, but. I'm guessing, but he was the first on TV to do it, absolutely. But Ron Popeil is an amazing guy. And when he does it with his flair, it stuck. Yeah, he has that incredible Ronness about him. Yeah. And it's one of the things that we've talked about. And it was really interesting the family lines with the Morses and the Popeils. And I've listened to Ron's book, Salesman of the Century, and you know, reading what the dog saw and kind of getting his very candid explanation of his upbringing and how things kind of got to how they are where they were. Did you try to get Ron into pitch people or was it kind of like known that, you know what, Ron's probably not going to be interested in something like this? I tried probably a dozen times. I tried. I had people around me try to think maybe he doesn't like me for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I think the bottom line was at that time he was pretty famous. If I was ABC News, he would have granted the interview immediately mm -hmm. right. because I'm a nobody. I feel your pain. He pretty much didn't think it was worth his time. Huh. We tried and tried. It's really weird because he's... He was right over the hill there. He's not far from here. So. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. got him to sign off on something in it, right? Did his people ever look at it? Because it included his story. Yeah, well, because his cousins told the story, basically. The Morrisons told the story. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I did contact Seymour's wife. She was still alive. And she's the one that sent me the photo of oh, wow. Seymour Papier when he was ill to illustrate that part of the story. Yeah. But I think Ron's sister eventually contacted me a couple of years after the film had come out and she was interested in it. Now that's really all I, I heard from them. I don't know if probably Ron's ever even seen it to this day. Cause you know, he's, I would imagine he has a pretty big ego and he doesn't really have the time to, to deal with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that it's just, it's so noticeable. It's a testament to the doc because it's so well done and you're going, wait a minute, where's the round bit? You know what I mean? It's, a, <laughs> it's another yeah. part of the story. Of course, we had to pray for the rights, the Weird Al song that's in there, Mr. Popeil. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you can't get away without paying for that. But everything else in the documentaries, you know, if other people are talking about something, it's not 
insulting a person, you know, on substantiated claims, it's pretty much fair game. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was really interesting too, right? Where everyone basically spoke of Ron in fairly glowing terms, right? They're like, because it's one of those things where it's like, well, we're all playing the same game. We know this guy's the best at it. Like, we're not going to pretend that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. And, but like hearing Lester and, and Arnold talk about it, they both kind of had that like, it's too bad kind of thing, right? It's like, ah, oh, we, you know, like it's, yeah, it's a little bit too bad that he uh, doesn't feel like he's part of the fraternity that was so cool about hearing Jan Muller and Joe Fowler and Nancy talk about like, yeah. we're all in this together. It's competitive to the point of like, well, yeah, we're all kind of doing the same thing. But at the same time, there's enough for everybody to eat in mm-hmm. like greatness, really respected greatness. And everyone knows the grind that it took to get there. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that picture was painted so well for how it all came through. It's funny. When I interviewed Arnold, I asked him, would you ever work for Ron? And he said, would I work for him? Never. And then years later, he appeared when Ron's left. He was pitching the knives for Ron. We just covered that one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> with history. So, mm-hmm. you know, money always talks and, you know, everyone walks. That's so funny. I, <laughs> Mark, I think you said exactly that. We recently covered that exact one, the Showtime six star plus knives. Yeah. And yeah. Mark, your comment was, I can't believe Arnold is wearing an apron that says Ron Co on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, Stan, are you familiar with the movie Heat? The, the narrow film? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's a scene when Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are in the first movie together. It's a diner scene. Oh, that's right. That's how I felt about it. Yeah, they never met each other, right? They never yeah. did. Yeah. And that's how we felt about it. We're like, Arnold and Ron, this is heat. This is our yeah, heat. He's eating popcorn. Like, it's happening. Yeah. I thought you were going to mention Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Of course, they give away knives if you get enough food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. Second place. <laughs> and he teaches them AIDA, you know. Yeah. 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 Good call. Funny. By the way, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. That was a different kind of pitch. Those are guys that pitch over the phone to get people to sign up for stuff. Same kind of thing, though. Yeah, Yeah, that's a rough gig. The cold calling sales gig. So it was one of the things I was also curious about in your background. Were you ever in like true gritty sales gigs at all at any point in your jobs before you kind of figured out that production was more you were headed? Nothing, nothing like what those guys have been through. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to try to sell Christmas cards around the holidays, stuff like that. And I remember seeing black and white in the Saturday mornings, they would run these special shows. They weren't infomercials, but they were kind of industrials. They would like be a half hour program about a company of bottled soda or whatever. Yeah. And I was thought that was interesting that they took it was a regular program. We started really interested in watching that because it wasn't Dick Van Dyke and the normal stuff you saw. Yeah. So I remember that. And I remember a commercial for the Salad Master, which was a cookware set. I must have <laughs> seen it in the late 50s, early 60s. It was in black and white. Oh, yeah. And I'll never forget they one of the parts of the pitch on TV, they take the pot and they bang it on the counter. And it, makes like, it makes a racket. And that's what gets your attention. <laughs> which is fun. So those are kind of in the back of my head. But I never, I only studied really pitch you know, when I started working with these guys, I really didn't do it myself. I don't think I would be been any good at it because I'm a pretty straightforward, not that they're dishonest. It's hard for me to twist the truth a little bit. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. They're yeah. great at doing that. Like, I'll never forget when Arnold was telling me when they sold the Morris metric slicer, some people would complain at the fears that the vegetables would stick on the blade. It was a very simple metal blade. So the way they got around that was, well, here's a tip that we only share with our best customers. Take a little bit of olive oil and put it on the blade and you'll have no problem. So it was a way they solved uh, maybe a deficiency in the product. Oh, yeah. But it was a clever way to do it. Yeah. 
it's like all of them claim that this is the last one you're ever going to buy. And if that's not the case, then like, yeah, Yeah. there is some dishonesty (laughs) living within there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are people, they're they're at the fairs and they got to make their money so they can pay their rent when they go home and stuff. So they'll try almost anything. Again, I think they don't go, they're not outright dishonest because that would come back and bite them. We were shooting at, it was at the Eastern States Exposition when I shot some of the film here. And I noticed there's a lady walking one of those Wonder Mops. It was broken. So I asked, what happened? I said, she said, well, I bought this at the fair last year and it broke. So I'm bringing it back. So we biked her up. I wanted to see what would happen. Oh, wow. Because I, again, my approach to the film was show everything, you know, the good and the bad, because this is what. Yeah. And when she walked up to the booth, they immediately gave her a new one. Yeah. There was no scam going on. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, it's just watching these guys work is where I sort of learned, you know, what was going on with the pitches. and everything. Just jumping into, I guess, the intro and when you go into the the biggie scenarios, too. What kind of research did you do prior to the shooting? I mean, or did that develop through the interviews? I shot the film over a three-year time period. So by that point in my career, I had worked with Arnold. I'd worked with Wally Nash. And I'd worked with a bunch of them, Jim Muller. So they, I'd ask them, who were the guys you learned from? Yeah. Through all of them, they would tell me, well, the guy named Chet was in the film. He taught Jan. He said, you'll see him at the State Fair. Yeah. He, he was an amazing guy, too. And, oh, wow. and then, uh, you know, Arnold would tell me, Ruby Morris, his, uh, his relative, would be at the uh, Big E. And said, Ruby will never give you an interview. Well, he, he finally did. He did give me an interview. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I kind of researched it by talking with them. And then I actually went to some archive stuff and there was actually that old pitch that, that's in the very beginning in the film. That's from the National Archives. Someone went out and pitched that lady that was pitching their medicine. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Part. That's actually footage from one of the fairies that she was out there. Wow. Yeah. That part's great. The Danny Kay film opens the film. He mm-hmm. hits the three, there's like seven areas of that infomercial products hover around it's like vanity, money, et cetera, et cetera, weight loss. So he hits three of them in that opening dance. I thought it was, a, it was an interesting way to open the film. Oh, wow. At the end, he came talking about, you know, do you need more money? Yeah. Are you losing hair? Sir, are you aware? Yeah, that's so funny. Exactly. <laughs> what is the movie? Did we look that up? It's a quick clip in the beginning. I recognize Danny Kaye. That was it. The Inspector General. The film was in public domain. That's why I was able to use it. Oh, no, okay. oh, That's cool. fantastic. That's great. I was re-watching parts of it this morning, and I was humming that to myself, you know, with my daughter and stuff. She's looking at me funny. Don't worry about it. Trust me. This is okay. <laughs> Daddy's stable. (laughs) Did you travel for the interviews besides the Big E or were most of them in California? All around the country. I went down to the Delmar State Fair, which is near San Diego, between LA and San Diego, and the Big E, the Minnesota State Fair. I went over to England with the Petticoat Lane, where a lot of the, that's been a pitch place since medieval times, probably. So there were a lot of pitch guys there. And that's probably, there's maybe one or two others that I stopped at. Some of these shows, the home shows they do also. There was one in London that we went to. We shot there. And, wow. Were you the interviewer the whole time as the filmmaker? Yeah. That's cool. And it's also half of it's on you to be asking the right questions too. So that's always a, a yeah. difficult role as a filmmaker and interviewing and producer and all that stuff. Yeah. The, the only exception to that was when uh, the behind the scenes stuff, which is the latter you know, quarter of the film, we show the making of several infomercials. Yeah. Those were all yeah. my productions. So I couldn't be there. On the set, I told the camera crew, the song guys, just go after whatever you need. And yep. the cameraman on the Ed McMahon shoot was the one that did Ed's questions. Plus, I had a guy working with me at the time that knew what I wanted Ed to talk about. So he also asked Ed the questions. So they did. They filled in for me for that. 
Wow. That bit. Yeah. No, I mean, my favorite scene in the movies, Arnold and Nancy. When he doesn't cut through it first. But the camera work on that one is like, should I even be here? Like, this camera is just kind of <laughs> floating there. And it's like, oh, man, I might be looking at something that might just go down right now. And it was phenomenal, obviously, the crescendo of the whole thing. But it's kind of a cool technique you had in that one. Yeah. That was John Armstrong. John was a great shooter. And, uh, and he went out, I think, I've, I've lost track of him, but I know he was doing some of the amazing races and stuff like that after years Ooh, later. Cool. Wow. He, um, sense. It's funny. I didn't know that moment existed until I was in the editing room. And the guy, the voice you hear, you know, when Arnold says he can't cut through the bone, he says, well, why are we doing it? That was me. I was off camera. Okay. <laughs> but I'm producing the show. Oh, it's too funny. Doing my job. And I kind of forget the cameras are there because I have a client yeah. and, and I've got to, you know, produce the show. So... No one knew I was going to do that. And obviously Nancy didn't know she jumped a few inches. <laughs> oh my gosh, when he just hacks through it. Uh, yeah, that was terrifying. And the other funny thing too, watching that Nancy and just her persona and her credibility, she plays it perfectly, right? It doesn't cut through and she goes, oh, it cut right through that bone. And I'm like, oh wow, it cut through the bone. Like I'm just like, my eyes see that didn't cut through, but I heard Nancy say it. So I'm blaming myself. I'm like, oh, I must not be able to see that it cut through it. And then they stop and talk about it and they're like repositioning the meat. And I was like, oh, she's so good. I'm such yeah. a sucker. That's like, that's yeah. great. Like, <laughs> I trust Nancy over your eyes any day, Dan. Right? <laughs> yeah, you'd be a fool not to. One of the things with the knife pictures you probably know is they, they cut a box of frozen peas. Mm -hmm. or cut through that. Another one is cutting through bone. And I guess this pea bone mistake, actually the fears, I never really saw anyone cut through a bone. Saw through a bone but he, I think he yeah. made the claim he could. So he had a, why are you making that claim? You need to follow through it. And so he just whacked it and they did it. Yeah, that's why he's a pro. By the way, those knives I still use to this day, the Super Chef knives. The only issue with them is you got to hand dry them because if the moisture, the water gets into the, where the blade goes into the handle, with time that will rust in there because it's not as protected as the outside. Wow. And it will snap off, but I still use them to this day. <laughs> I was going to say, good. we're talking 20 plus years later. Absolutely. Talking about testimonial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Most of the infomercials I've produced. I've been selling a lot of products, and if some were crap, and I wouldn't do them because my production company has my name on it. Yeah. So the last thing that we want is to have a controversial product out there. Yeah. So every product I've done is something I, I actually use. In fact, I, I mean, last night I was using my food saver. God, I love that. Every thing. morning I make an omelet with my Express Ooh. Ready Set Go, which is the omelet. Oh yeah, Kathy. Oh yeah. Kathy's another milestone in the industry, as you know. Uh, yeah. Just the moment I'm using more because I have a convection over now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and also the, the flavor stone, which is the, you know, the pots and pans. I actually, oh, yeah. Oh, oh nice. Actually blue. Do you know that one, Dan? Yeah. And they sent me the product originally. It was this color. And I told them, change the color to blue because there was already a product on the air. Basically. It looks like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, you got to separate yourself in the marketplace. And that blue mm -hmm. color, I had a, a Gaginol oven and the interior was blue like that. So it said, that has a really high end look. So. Why don't you go that That's way? So they, smart. they listen. They talk about it. They discuss among themselves and they did it. That's incredible. Yeah. So in terms of the folks that are, I mean, unfortunately, we've lost the Morris brothers in the interim since the film. But of the pitch people that we met in there, I know we've talked about Jan a little bit. And it's funny. When you wrote back to my request, you unprompted mentioned Sir Joe Fowler, which makes you two out of two interview requests that unprompted mention Joe Fowler. He's our favorite. Mm -hmm. I've joked, my biological father, Joe Fowler. <laughs> Are you still in touch with Joe? Have you worked with him recently? Well, yeah, I haven't done a show with Joe in many years. We Once in a while, I get a call from him. We'll, we'll, we'll say hello. I think the last time it was maybe about 
it was when the Flavorstone uh, product was on the air. He saw it up in Canada. He was he gave me a shout out. Left a message on too. But uh, Joe, <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe is unforgettable. As you know, he's a real personality. He's got a lot of energy, and he's from you know he started as an anchor, a sports anchor. You know, it's sports yeah. in Texas, and and he worked his way into the pitch business. He said, "I can do this." He learned how to do it, and he's he's carved out a really nice niche for himself. He the first show. I'm trying to remember, was the Turbo Cooker the first show I had? I worked with Joe. It was Kathy Mitchell did the did the pitch. Yeah, he was the host. Yeah, yeah. Now, he's fantastic. Was turbo Cooker here, which is oh wow, basically a big pan that you mm. cook with, and it had uh, levels to do steaming, and you could do a cake in it and everything. Oh Kathy my God. did a really good pitch with that. Yeah, so somehow we haven't gotten to Kathy yet directly on the show. So obviously I know her from the Race Set Express, the Turbo Cooker. I think the internet has run with her dump cake legacy. <laughs> She's also kind of like a very Fowler-esque personality of just like always a huge smile, always just kind of like, it feels like she comes in like pre-wound four espressos in. It's like, oh, try to keep up with Kathy. She has an amazing talent in that she can cook and talk at the same time that's that's not easy to do i don't i challenge nope. anyone to do that yeah. Uh, yeah and also when, when she embraces a product she really said it through the tests and she comes up with some great recipes for it and, and she embrace and she loves it and they, that comes across in her pitch and if she doesn't like the product she'll also turn it away she won't she'll say now it, it's going to be problems with this She's as smooth as silk the way she, she does it. And her original infomercial was the Snack Master on TV. Oh, she did that solo okay. by herself in front of a camera. And that thing was a huge success. That was That's, back in the early days, in the late 80s. Yeah. And then she did another one with Bo Riles. That might have been like one of the, yeah. like the LaPresse. Yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah, it feels like they all kind of came in quick succession. You can see like the tiny tweaks. It's like, all right, that's a new one. Go run. <laughs> Yeah, the fries yeah. are coming hot and heavy. She's got a lot of two-minute infomercials that are, that are running. I think she still does those. Yeah. The thing with infomercials is that they've kind of it's a whole different market now because of the internet. It changed yeah. everything. Yeah. An entrepreneur so it used to be a person who come up with a product and they didn't have a huge amount of money, so they would say, "Well, let me go to a marketing company and partner with them, and they'll put together yeah. a commercial that explains to people what the product does." And that's sort of gone away because of the internet. You can now do that on your own. Right. You could set up a store on Amazon or, any, or even Facebook. And if your product is going to connect with people and you do a good pitch, it could actually take off from there. So the, the TV isn't used as much as it used to be for, for selling products. Yeah. It still is, but not as much. Yeah. I have noticed, though, we've been thinking about that a lot, especially after watching the documentary. The more I surf around Instagram, there is very guy, why? pitch infomercial style goofy products that you know, you'll know you be scrolling through. And they're shorter, obviously, but... No shorter than two minutes, like some of the commercials are. So I'm kind of curious to see if any of these people even attempt to do what the pros did with their presentations. Remember a few years ago, the smart pressure cookers came out? The guy, he opened the store. He's an engineer. He invented it. He opened the store on Amazon, and it was a huge success, and it just took off. Now, if he had done that back in the early twos, it would have been an infomercial probably. He would have found the company, but because he was uh -huh. able to market it himself. And I think that's what's happening a lot. Yeah. The thing with the internet, though, some of these stories, if I make a commercial and I put it on a TV station, if it's a bogus commercial, the TV station and the network will reject it. That's right. not mm -hmm. true with Facebook and those stories. You can come up with, you know, snake oil. They still have to have yeah. some regulations put in place because a lot of consumers might be being ripped off, you know, as we Yeah, yeah, totally. There's no rules. There's a lot of West out there. Yeah. 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 Interesting. That's just yeah. social media in general nowadays. Yeah. How much information is bogus, right? I mean, I'm just say if you're selling a makeup product and you've 
Facebook your face, they want you to start disclosing it, and which makes sense. I mean, you gotta, we used to have to say on when you had a testimony in the infomercial, if it was a person that was paid or if they're real. Yeah. A lot of people would hire actors to say to stuff. I always went to the real people. I never liked that. I never did that. It's harder to do it with real people. You know, a lot of them aren't, aren't good, they're flat. But when you get someone that really loves the product, even if they look as ugly as hell, it, you know, on TV, they're not camera ready, it sells the product because they love it, you know? Yeah. Yep. I'll always go in that direction. Yep. That's why the testimonials are so big. I know. Dan always hammers it into us. Yeah. You can smell it from a mile away. Like, all right. Because there's obviously going to be some coaching on like keywords, buzzwords. It's, it's pretty easy, right? You don't have to really coach them. You ask a specific question. You don't ask, what do you think? When you're talking about turbo cooking, you say, how fast did that cook? They're like, oh, that <laughs> cooked incredibly fast. I've never seen it. Like, okay, like you can <laughs> steer the messaging without making them read. And if, like you said, if it's someone who's actually into it, they're like, Oh yeah, it's like he, you can see the light come on a lot more than like oh, I was really easy to clean. Like, oof, all right. right. That's right. our big thing. It's like, why did they leave that in? Like, show me Ron juggling a fried turkey instead of like having Jesse tell me how easy it is to clean because I don't believe Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> it's really true, and, and um, I never would tell them the questions or anything ahead of time. We would get the permission. I told them up front they're not being paid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end of the interview, when it was all done. I said, by the way, we're going to give you the product to have because you're nice enough to donate your time. So that's the only thing we oh, did, but they never nice. knew that was happening. Oh, that's awesome. It's laughter. So it was a clean interview. And I had yep. yeah. my camera guys there, the makeup gals there, and the sound person. So it's not like – and also, when you don't tell people, you get – it's fresh. It's right off the top of the head. Yeah. More sincere. You, you haven't incentivized them at all. Like, they're just like, talk yeah. to me. And, and if they crap all over it, then – you get that narrative, right? <laughs> so that was one of the things we goof on these things a lot, but that was one of the things we took away from the doc, which was just that they, for the most part, have to really love these products to say, yes. yep, I will do a pitch for this. Or if they're taking it to the big E, I have to literally live with this thing for a long time. Yeah. This is my roommate for the yeah. summer. Like, yeah. So <laughs> that was that was when we started to go, oh, this is not a joke. You know what I mean? And now Stan makes you live with it forever in a documentary. Like, yeah. like it's... No, you're you know, right. They have evergreen. to... Evergreen, yeah. They have to not only get to know, but the hope they got to the point where they really like them. And I guarantee you, they, just to make a living, people haven't have had to pitch products that they didn't really care to pitch. They had to start yeah. somewhere. But mm -hmm. I think when they got a certain level of success, and they were, you see them year after year after fairs, they're probably pitching decent products that they really like. Yeah. You have to like earn the right to be able to pitch the, the marquee stuff, get those Glengarry leads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, so thinking about the timing of things when you got into and started shooting infomercials, did you ever cross paths with Amazing Discoveries and Mike Levy and that crew or any involvement or, or bumping that folks? I know you were able to interview Ian for the documentary, Ian Long. Yeah. Like to us, it feels like there's an amazing discoveries universe and like the way that Levy did infomercials that had to have influenced a ton of stuff. And we are enamored with all of that as well. Yeah, his was a different approach. And again, it was valid because a lot of his shows were big successes. Yeah. At that time, he was kind of a competitor. I mean, I, I produced shows, he produced shows with his partner and there were others. I mean, maybe in the industry at that time, there probably, I would say, maybe a dozen top producers out there. And okay. so the only time I crossed path with uh, Mike was Quantum Marketing, which was one of the companies that produced infomercials. They were out of Philadelphia, actually north of Philadelphia. And they, they had, National Media was another company that Mike Levy did his shows with. Yep. Those two companies had to come together. I think the financially National Media got some trouble. So Mike Levy was 
producing shows for a gentleman that was running their companies. And um, I was scheduled to have a meeting with this gentleman because he ran the company that I was working for as well as Mike. So when I was going in, Mike was going out. So it's the only time we, we crossed paths. <laughs> <laughs> Literally crossed paths. <laughs> and another nice guy. But he kind of gave me a look. He knew, he knew I, who I was. Yeah, you're on his corner. Yeah, he yeah. had a better sweater than you, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Just... <laughs> Truth being told, since everything's under the warning, I mean, they they did get in trouble. I think they did one of the stick mixers. That was Sandy Mason made that successful for Quantum. She did that show on her own, and it was a huge success. Oh, wow. A lot of times, these companies would knock off what was successful. So Mike did a stick mixer oh. too, but I think. During the taping of it, they pumped more electricity in that than you would get out of a 220 blade, so so it could crush a pineapple. And he got caught doing that. And I think he got, his company got oh, That's the other thing you can't do. Wow, you can't do that. Yeah, everything. Yes, yeah, and it's also like a the dangerous thing of just being a pitch person. And I could see it happening really easily of just kind of like being in the flow of you just selling this thing, selling this thing, and then like with some of the pressure cookers, right? Where like some of them like blew up and burnt people and like Eric Thies, the pitch man is named in the court documents because he said that it is a hundred percent safe. And it's like, Oh shit. Like I'm watching this as entertainment and there's also sales going on, but it's like, Oh yeah, no, like you're actually can be held legally liable for what comes out of your mouth. Talking about these products and whether it's that where you're intentionally juicing something or like that where you just, you're overstating by five, 10% what the truth is to really try and emphasize a point. You don't realize there's like you might end up in court. Like you might be compromising your, your livelihood. You're hurting somebody too, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's nuts. Yeah. You do have to be careful. You know, in, in most the companies they they usually have a lawyer that reviews the show after it's cut together the, the script beforehand. So they have another pair of eyes watching it. But yeah. obviously that one you got away or they didn't have someone to review it. But you gotta be careful. Absolutely. Yeah. And it seems like you've been very focused in the kitchen products and gadgets and stuff. Did you ever produced any infomercials that branched outside of that either into more of like the home improvement side of things or the health and fitness stuff yeah, i've done before there was my pillow i did the sobacala pillow that was a household I oh yeah yeah very very successful but the company got in trouble with another product they had that had a defect and so they went under unfortunately Bummer. and then i've done health and fitness i did walk away the pounds with leslie sansong she was a qvc oh yeah, she oh, did, yeah. Did we did about a string of three or four with her they were pretty successful. And, and I did a Wagner had a paint roller. I did that with Joe Fowler, a power roller with power roll paint on the walls and stuff. Oh, wow. Oh, Got to do that. The rightful successor to the Home Right paint stick, I'm guessing. I, Wagner saw how great the home stick did. You know, the jam yeah. a great pitch with that. So they were, they sold mainly in retail. Yeah. So they wanted to get on the map with their own thing. The thing with some of those products, when you aren't in retail yet, and it's different now, but back then when you weren't in retail, TV exposure was great because you had enough sales on TV to pay for the airtime, to pay for the cost of the product and all the other expenses and have some left over to make a little profit. And then when they, yeah. if they became really successful on TV, retail ran after you. They wanted, their, they wanted your product right. and stories. So that was, it was a great thing. And with Wagner, when you do a show, customers know they're already in stores. But it right. helps. It does educate them to go to the store and buy it. So there is benefit. And that's mm. a lot of the information on the air now are mainly to support actually online sales and some retail sales. 
Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't buy it online, but this room, Wagner. That's it. I did it. <laughs> it the power roller? It's like the paint stick. But yeah, it was the same technology. It cleaned out really good. I can testimonial of that thing. Real testimonial from real people just like you. Give me a microphone over here. <laughs> a little, little bit closer. Yeah, but you didn't do that whole wall in under 60 seconds. I can guarantee that. Jan did. So. No, no. <laughs> Jan did. You did. Jan also, we did work for Hoover. It was a, the dirt finder, which was... Um, it had a little light on the vacuum cleaner, so when they, it would tell you in the carpet that's clean enough. It had a little sensor. Oh, it wow. It was less dirt coming up. It would go green. That's awesome. There's a Joe Fowler sequence in that one I'm sure you would have loved. He, he wanted to create the dirtiest carpet in the world, so we, we uh, put a carpet on, at a car, and he drove it through the valley for like a half hour, and he came back with yes. Maddie Cressler. He comes in the studio. Here it is, Maddie. The dirtiest carpet in the world. Oh, I'm man. seen it now, Maddie. God, that guy is good. So he's amazing. <laughs> how do you go about collaborating on producing one of these things? Does Joe or whomever come to you and say, "I got three ideas. We drag a car through the desert. We do that." And then you go, well, no, we got to do the testimonials too. I mean, how does it go from- Yeah, do the juice. Yeah, do the bowling ball. Yeah. yeah. How does it go from <laughs> the pitch man's idea to sort of, okay, we got to make this a 30 minute thing. You know, how this, that's a lot. 30 minutes is a long time. Yeah. It was either the entrepreneur with the product or the marketing company. So you have to meet with them first. Mm-hmm. And like, I know Dave Durnbush would digest me. I, mean, I worked for a company at the time, but he was new to the whole game. And so in, in, that, in some ways that was good because he was kind of all over the place. So he actually listened and um, we, you work together with them. These people have great ideas. So you write it all down, you get the ideas from the company and then you sort of synthesize the whole thing. You say, okay, here's the format. We're going to do an introduction. We're going to do a pod one where we demonstrate the product and people know it. And then there's a commercial break and then there's pod two and then there's a conclusion. So it kind of fits that mm-hmm. form, that rough format. And yeah. I usually, when I shot the show, I shot for camera. And when I worked for uh FMS at the ad agency, that's when I first learned how to shoot live TV. I, I went to film school. I, had, I knew nothing about TV. TV was like right. the vast wasteland. It was like, oh, you look on the the TV. So yeah. I, I, I want to <laughs> not only work in the TV, but in the, the lowest form of advertising. Yeah. <laughs> but, but listen, it was images, it was audio, and it was still exciting to me. And it was equipment, yeah. it was learning, it was working with other people. Like, it, was, it was editing, it was camera work. And, oh, yeah. Um, and I learned that every time I worked in this stuff, I always would try to push the envelope. I was just, we, when we used to do a kitchen show, we used to shoot on a mirror above the counter, like any PBS cooking show. There'd be a mirror. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, we shoot up the mirror so the mirror could see the food. There was no such thing as a jib in those days. Mm. We said that about the Great Walk. We are wondering how they did that. Yeah. The one with, with Arnold and Wally Nash. Yeah. I think we were like, was there a jib in there? But that oh, it's a mirror. Yeah. Holy shit. I had to walk. They had they had a mirror. So what wow. they have, what you have to do with that, you have to take that image and flip it. So it has to go through oh there's a thing called the ADO in the board, the video board. But when yeah. you do that, it goes down a generation. So it looks a kind of bit softer yeah. than the rest. So I never liked that. So my first kitchen show was with Lester, Lester Morris. It was a multi-level steam cooker. And um he said, you got to set up a mirror. And that's how you do it, Stan. That's how they do commercials. So at that time at the studio where I shot, there was a guy named Dave Eastwood. And he had just bought a jib, a Jimmy Jib. They just had come out. And he oh, said, Stan, wow. you like this Jimmy Jib. You may want to consider using it for the uh, overhead. Yeah, are you from the future? Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> There's more control because the, the mirror is pretty limited. You just... That yeah. Is. 
so I, it was hard to convince Les Buster with old school. Hey, you can't do that. You got to have a mirror. So I said, hey, we'll, we'll set up both. We'll put the mirror and we'll put the gym. Yeah. You can have your mirror. Okay. So that was the first time the gym was used in a kitchen oh, gym. Wow. That infomercial. And, and of course, it went on from there. Dave, he shot the Academy Awards for probably a good 20 years. He was a city oh, wow. camera. Wow, incredible. He did wow, all the nice. city camera. He's not now. He's, he's older like I am. So he probably can't take the thing on his back. But yeah. Dave was an yeah. amazing talent. I mean, I... I was lucky enough to work with people like that, with the rich were, you know, so it's, it's kind of a combination. Everyone gets together with ideas and because, you know, the producer, you say, okay, let's go with this. And you sort of That's guide awesome. them, basically. Yeah. To piggyback yeah. on that, are these people that are working on kind of a little bit of everything, infomercial, commercial, film, because most of it's in California, right? Well, that, yeah, I mean, it's they're shot all over the country, but they were... It, a lot of it is shot out here, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not not always. So a lot of times, like when I used to shoot at the TV store shows, uh, stations, they would work on other TV shows, not really film work. Film mm-hmm. was there's still that curtain between film and and television. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, there a few film people. I put that in quotes. Have shot infomercials. They look gorgeous, but they did zero sales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many of them tell me, God, it's so tacky that that guy looks at the camera and he sells that product. There's a more elegant way of doing it. But that's what sure. people do. I mean, exactly. exactly. Bourbon was my hero, but listen, if you got to, <laughs> your client says you got to help sell this product, you got to do what works, right? So you listen. It's kind of a way. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, I think that's always been the dilemma in of, you know, the film world versus the TV world. That's really funny. I think we're just asking why on all these things. And <laughs> you've given us half of our whys that we've asked. Yeah. But uh, I want to go back to pitch people for a second. Did you like have a budget in mind for this thing? Did you know what it was going to be? Did you have a timeline that you wanted to get done? And most importantly, like, did this thing even like have life until, because you're the editor of it, did it even have life until you like started putting it together? Because it's fascinating that you were involved with really the entire thing. And I know some of these projects can be like, well, what the hell is this thing? Like, until you really start putting it together. No, you're absolutely right. I knew I wanted to make a film. I thought these guys had never been documented in a formal way. So I thought it's capturing a bit of history. And let me just, I just kind of rolled along, just shot and shot. I did have a rough idea of um, what I wanted to do, but it really wasn't until I got all the footage together. And I just went through all of it that I started piecing together the story. And it turned out to be the story of the Morrises. That was the one part of it because they were, it was an interesting story. And then yeah. the other part was how are the infomercials made? You know, they, they go behind the scenes and sort of follow how it put together. The history also was always going to be in the film because I knew talking a little bit about the history of the pitch would be a good idea. I mean, it doesn't include every single person. Like Kathy Mitchell's not in the film, which is, which is a big regret in myself. And uh, Billy Mays is in an area. I almost was going to do an interview with him, but I got to the point where I'm getting so much footage. But at least it captured one slice of the industry. I think that was the whole purpose of it. And it gives people a good idea. Someone said it at the Mill Valley Film Festival, one lady that saw it. By the way, I couldn't believe it. It was an audience full of people, and we all loved it. <laughs> and this lady said, this is the first time someone is given us due for what we do. What we do is very, she's a pitch person. Yeah. She said, what we do is very hard work. And you actually told an honest story. I really appreciate it. And that was all. It wasn't that I set out to do that, but that's what emerged out of everything. Because that's at the end of the day, they're all hardworking people with talent. Yeah, they definitely have talent. There's yeah. no doubt there. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. one of our favorites yeah. from the documentary was Jerry Mascuzio. Yeah, and <laughs> I love that you left in one full run of his pitch. It's like three and a half, four minutes 
Of where it starts them going, ma'am, no, hey, don't let her walk away. Bring her back here. I didn't walk away when you came up. Now, folks, look over here. It's just like, oh, my God. Like, it's mm -hmm. I've rewatched just that four minutes hundreds of times. One, because I use my time wisely. And two, because it's just so captivating of, yeah. like, this is how you do it. Like, this is everything that they talked about from Aida to any way that you're going to want to try to mature this or try to develop it further. It's like, no, this is how you hook people in. This is how you hit every beat. And then this is how you ask for the money. This is how you do it. Mm -hmm. it's like, man, that guy was incredible. And it also made me think, like, was there any bitterness among the guys like that who are just incredible people who were obviously the, the road warriors versus the ones who graduated up? It's like any industry. There's people like other people. Some people don't like them. You know, and I think <laughs> I think the bottom line with that industry is that if you if you rip someone off, then you're on a bad list. And I think the yeah. witches, you know, it's a good code to have because you don't want to deal with people that rip you off. And I think <laughs> if someone was ripped off by someone else, they steer away from they do their own thing. So I think that's you know that's sort of that's why they all gravitate their own different spheres. I think that's the code. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But the the thing with Jerry's picture you might find interesting is um you know the documentary was just shot with one camera, but because these guys know their pitch so well. We shot it three or four times to get all the different angles. To say, get out of here. That's you awesome. Pitch <laughs> like four times. Wow. Yeah, that's that's what's great about these. Oh, wow. How good he is. Yeah. That's so. If funny. you look carefully, a couple of the audience members do change. I didn't pick up on that. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I, I can't wait to, to check that again. Yeah. You can see it. <laughs> check the tape. You made it look quadruple the budget, is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Four, four shooters. We so shot on film, Super 16, and actually, what I'm doing now is. I'm going to do a 4K restoration of the film. We're going to retransfer the interpositive. And I'm going to, it's oh, never been on any of the streaming services. I'm going to try it, see if there's any interest. Because it's probably, it's kind of a good document for the 1990s, early 2000s. And a lot yeah. of the kick out of it. So I'm going to, we're going to remaster it this year. Hopefully by the end of the year, um, we'll get it back out there. I'm anxious to see what the, what the uh, footage looks like because with digital technology now, it's amazing what you can clean up in the footage. Yeah. So the, um, Interview of the British guy, uh, Matheson, that I did in England. He was an old pitch guy. When I brought that footage back from England, it got zapped in the x-ray machine. It was a, it was a new x-ray they, they came oh, out with uh, because, oh. of the terrorism. So it had green flashes on it. You can still see them there. Now there's digital technology we can eliminate. Them. Oh, wow. Harry, Harry Matheson. He was amazing. Harry just told it like it was. You know, he's... Yeah. Oh, Peel was the best, but he made fun of him. As, as, as yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> that's now a recurring gag on our show. Is you know, we can't <laughs> listen to Ron without hearing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I just love these guys. They just tell it as it is. I mean, there's there's no political correctness of these people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It's just get the yeah. money. That's it. That's so funny. <laughs> you mentioned Billy Mays briefly before, and talking about kind of like the production angle of things. Did you ever see the show that he and Anthony Sullivan had that yeah. ran for a couple of years, Pitchmen? Yeah, it was very, very interesting show. And um, the only issue with it, because it was the same thing, if you run out of interesting products and you're going to run out of a show, and I think that's what eventually happened because they let's put it on the air, let's see how it does, and they would show the end result. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's uh, Anthony called me that way back then. He was pitching himself to being in a show. And I, I threw him out there in front of a couple of clients, but they always went with someone else. But He's a good pitch guy for sure. Anthony's definitely very good. And Billy was a good character. Yeah. Did you ever work with Billy at all? No, um, no, almost, but didn't, didn't get the. But I knew his whole story of when he pitched that cleaning product for that company in Colorado and put them yeah. on basically. And then, you know, they rested history. Yeah. 
He had the orange glow in Up, Up, and Away. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, amazing story. I just saw Anthony Sullivan on TV the other night selling the it's a H2O theme cleaner. Was that 30 minutes or a spot? It's a full-length one. So Good. for whatever reason, oh, wow. Comcast has recently gifted me with an infomercial channel, which is awesome. <laughs> Whoa. It's almost like they knew this was going to happen. It was going to boil over. I was going to have to start talking about it, and they're like, all right, just help this guy out. Show him some of the new ones. Maybe it'll spark something. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, I caught that the other night, and I was like, oh, that's like the relative of the H2O Vac Turbo that Joe did with Mimi Umadon. How did Anthony do it? He pretty much up the speed the it's itself. Yeah, he's exactly the same. Like, And that's the other thing that's amazing with so many of these pitch people is that they never age. I don't understand how they do that. <laughs> like Anthony looks exactly the same as he did in the, like the 2010, 2011 season stuff from, from Pitchman. His hair is the same. And Ron's been doing this for 150 years. Like now you see him like on Instagram. like, okay, well, he was born in 35. I remember right. So he's yeah. Mid eighties. But like the stuff from the early, like his incredible invention stuff with the dehydrator up through the Showtime six star series knives. It's like, you can put those side by side and say, like, You didn't look tired. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Stan, what are you working on now? I know you talked about restoring pitch people to film. I see an editing station behind you. I think those are hard drives. Like, <laughs> what's happening in your world? The last year, pretty much everything slowed down because nothing was really going on. So there's... Really? I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> probably the next product I'm going to do will probably be... It's funny, I was there were a couple of designs of products that I had some people working on. I thought it would be a neat, neat product after all these years of seeing this stuff. I said, Well, what if no one's done this? And so, um, I've got a couple that if they can be produced efficiently, that might be worth you know doing a show on. It might be my own, you know, launching of the product, or maybe with someone that's interested in, in launching it. Oh, wow. I and mean, then there's another product I see was made in Korea that I like a lot, and I'm going to contact one of the manufacturers and see if they're interested in doing something here. Besides, there's not much else really going on with infomercials. Like I said, it's, I get maybe two calls a month. People call, they say they have a product. And then the first thing I say, you know, do a little pitch for it or have someone put together a video presentation for you. It won't be expensive. And open a store and see if it sells. If it sells and you want to be on TV, call me back. And then we can we can talk because it's, you know, it's, to produce an infomercial, you're talking about a quarter million dollars. Then you've got to inventory the product. Yeah. Because when you sell it on TV, you have to have, you can't just put an infomercial and see if it works. You have to have products ready to <laughs> sell. You got to get a fulfillment company going. So you're into it yeah. for a lot of money. So yeah. before they spend that money, they said, now there's, everyone's capable of doing it. People have iPhones. They make films. They're capable yeah. of doing it. So try that first. And then if you want to graduate to maybe TV or something where it will support what you started, then it's worth talking that's kind of what I tell them now. That's really cool. cool. Yeah. I never want to take someone's money and then all of a sudden they say, oh my God, this was a waste of money. Yeah, right. It's like, oh, cool. Well, this is my life savings. So am I rich now? It's like, um, <laughs> never like having this conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was one company from um, Belgium. They had, a, they had an oil additive, which was actually pretty good. It actually, did, it actually helped your car a lot. And so I did a commercial for them. And I always told them, listen, it's always, you never know. It might work and it might not work. So we did it. Joe actually hosted it. And it didn't it didn't connect. It didn't connect with consumers. And they were just beside themselves. But this is the risk of the industry, unfortunately. You you, you do the best you can with the presentation without lying about yeah. the product. Yeah. And listen, if Joe couldn't get it to go, it wasn't gonna go. Yeah. Right? Like that's <laughs> you went top shelf, you know. It's not like you tried to half ass it and you're like, Oh, what can we do better? It's like, 
nothing like you know it didn't take sorry like <laughs> the surgery was a success but the patient died i don't know what to tell you like <laughs> it's like a filling shit i mean only of all the fills made maybe 20 percent of them work it's the same to be a filling mm-hmm. yeah. but it's just that you want to put them together as many elements as possible that will that will help it be successful. That's the key thing. Yeah. You never know. It's always a crapshoot. Yeah. There have been products that have been huge on QVC or on home shopping that bombed an infomercial. But if it was successful in infomercial, it always was good on QVC and home shopping. So it's funny. It goes one way, but it doesn't necessarily go the other way. Hmm. Yeah, definitely a one-way street. It's a slightly different audience too, right? Like I feel like the people oh, yeah. who are QVCers yeah. or home shopping or people, like they're just watching that constantly. Mm-hmm. They're ready to call back. There's not a lot of first-time callers to, uh, for QVC or HSN at this point. And I'm drunk and South Park just ended, right? Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> right. oh, and like, cool. Yeah. At midnight, <laughs> exactly. and I'm like, oh, yeah. Two different audiences? I don't know. Did you say psychotic error? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a thesis. Get over here. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask when we're talking about the producer-style interview questions, it reminded me of Joe Sugarman and Blue Blockers. It feels like he did things very differently from kind of like your standard infomercial pitch. And I think that probably the type of product lent itself to being a little bit different where it's like walk up to people on the street, hand them sunglasses. What do you think? Are they very clear? And they're like, oh, it's very clear. Next person. Was he someone that you've ever like crossed paths with or like reading some of the the literature about him and his impact on the direct response industry? Curious if you ever were influenced by or, you know, cross paths or, or worked with him in any capacity. No, I haven't, but I mean, I recognize what he did was pretty innovative. I mean, and, and, and I sort of, like, that's his signature and I would never want to even try to copy that. Mm-hmm. I kind of just went on my own and, and came up with another thing, but no, he, he's, there, there are definitely people like him that have done something really special. And uh, he's a very smart marketing guy too. He did a lot with that product. It was just amazing. I mean, yeah. it became a brand name pretty much and he had big success with it. They're still selling they, them, the same ones, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I know he's yep. tried other varieties and stuff like that, but that main product was the one that connected, and that's the one that's been successful. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's really weird, but probably I'm doing the if you whittle down, if you distill down the basics of what, what he's doing, I'm probably doing the same thing. I just don't know it because I just right. it up a different way. That's all. Yep. But I mm-hmm. my yep. approach because of my film background and and, I, and I've always been a fan of documentaries. I kind of use that approach. You know, sprinkle in a little bit of TV in there, and then. Of course, never getting away the pitch person that's doing the pitch. That's you sort of dance around them with the with the cameras and everything. Let them do their thing. Don't you never want to over direct the pitch because they have their own rhythm, their own style. Just give them the space they need. Let them because they're really good at what they do. And that's pretty much what I contributed in that regard. I just let them be themselves, and that's why it always came out so good. Mm, yeah. That was the approach I took. It was so it's just a different approach. That's all. You know, Mike Levy had a different approach. He wanted a very he had a strict formula. He had a what show. A running, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but he had some good pitch people that would come out with him. Yeah. He tried a late night show. You probably know that after his infomercial career. He tried to do a late night show, and it just didn't work. Huh. It just didn't work. It's just that, yeah. That was his dream was to do a, a late late night show up in the news at eleven thirty. Obviously, yeah. right. The ambition yeah. is a little. It's, yeah. It's going against infomercial, and we pick up on that so much. Yeah. With certain things, you got Joe who has his kind of special version of things, amazing discoveries. And then Sugarman shocked us also. We were going, wait a minute. You know, we we thought this was going to be a regular infomercial. 
yeah. yeah. Making a commercial. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. What? It's an amazing thing. Someone copied his his style. It wasn't a successful show, but I'm trying to remember what he was selling. I've forgotten. I think they made even sunglasses. He kind of, he kind of copied Sugarman's style. Yeah. The yeah. Pretty, it was actually the producer. Blue walked. Shockers. Yeah. yeah. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were glasses. He had a pretty French lady walking with him, and then she would give the glasses to people that he'd get their candid reactions after putting them on. But yeah, that was Sugarman's style in this show. I mean, he was the master of that. I wouldn't mean, even touch that because he did so well. Yeah. That's smart, right? It's like the things like, well, it's not like it's uh, necessarily proprietary, but there is some sauce on how the individual does it, where it's like, all right, if you try to do it, it's the same thing of like the fake testimonials. It's like, this doesn't feel right coming from you. There's a mismatch here. I don't believe it. And the whole thing is like, you got to get someone to just believe long enough for their hand to creep to their phone, right? Like this has to be bought in for that long. They have to be bought in for the whole thing. They have to be bought in for a segment of time. Like, all right, I'm in. Like, that's all you want. That's all you can hope for. Right. Yeah. And, you know, along the regards of the fake testimonials, now, don't get me wrong. There are companies that have been very successful to hire name actors to endorse a product and they're in the infomercial doing that. Now that's a whole different animal. You got right. a performer who has a following and because it's almost like an Instagram star, they say they like this, they're gonna, people are gonna be popular by the product. It's, so that obviously is valid for them. And right. that's valid mm -hmm. for that. And, and there's a whole genre of those type of shows, makeup shows or whatever, hair, hair shows. I just prefer the more realistic approach, the reality of the product, the reality of the reaction, not have it be so canned. And that's just the choice yeah. I made. That's, yeah. I just went in that direction because I was comfortable with that. We yeah. probably see that most of all when we're covering stuff in exercise and things like that. When yeah. an athlete will pop up and give a little endorsement and we go, oh, is that real or are they, uh, they get a little money for that? <laughs> that and when I did one of Leslie's shows, the, the, the client wanted to have you know someone of note come in. So we had uh, a Mets baseball star show up one day say, uh, Doing the walk that Leslie was doing, say, Yeah, I can do this, Leslie. It's good. Yeah. He didn't make any claims that he lost weight or anything, but he just was there and people recognized him. Yeah, you walk. Uh, that's part of the fun, though. <laughs> you know, Dave, not to toot your horn, but you you shot a Ray Bork commercial for us. Yeah. Oh, wow. He's seen a lot of them. And yeah, it's like, Yeah, you're feeding lines. There's some not natural stuff going on there. And it's, yeah. it's a little bit more of a struggle than I think when you get Ron Popeil up there and you just let him go to yeah, town. Yeah, just right? get out of the way. You're like, all right, go ahead. There was one part of that shoot day <laughs> where uh, Ray was cruising. You know, he was, he was an athlete, so he was prepared to do everything. And somebody on the team says, well, we got to give him this teleprompter. He's like, we got this bit that the company wants to hear. And I go, guys, we're going to lose an hour if you do that. And they go, no, we'll be done in two minutes. And Ray just couldn't, he couldn't quite get the teleprompter and he was so mad. And it he, knocked him off. Yeah. It knocked him he off. Was, yeah. I go, and I went and got lunch and I was like, I've told you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we were on You're a mind getting paid, but <laughs> yeah. this is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some people could take to a teleprompter like that, but then some, it's a struggle and that's, you got to make do with what you want. Yep. I remember uh, I did a show yeah. with a motivational product back in, in the early days and it was Joe Theismann was the host. Um, you know, football player. And then yeah. uh, this funny story I have for you is that someone suggested a makeup person for the shoot. It was an old guy. I said, are you kidding? This is Joe Theismann. I'm sure they hired a, a female makeup person. <laughs> the last thing you would see Joe Theismann have a guy putting makeup on. I don't think he would like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know he wouldn't, but I just had this sense 
it's not a good idea to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Different breed. <laughs> Let him go. I had one on the question and like it was piggybacking on like what are you doing now sort of thing, but pitch people's important to us. What else can we do to help? How else can we raise awareness to it? Is there social media stuff we could do because it impacted us? And I know we're like entering a world that we weren't, you know, in like you are, but it did impact us a lot and whatever you think we could help you with to promote it. And we'll see what we can do. Especially if you get on a streamer, we can, I'd love to help boost it. Yeah, yeah. certainly yeah. do something. So what's going to happen is once I get the film, the interposits over at the USC archives and I was getting it transferred. So once that's done, I have my guy come in and start putting it together. So maybe when things are getting to the point where we're going to relaunch it, 4K remastered. Yeah, that'd be great if you guys could be involved. Somehow. Yeah. We can, we can mm-hmm. talk about it and see. Love to. Absolutely. Because right now it's only available on Vimeo and then there's a standard definition DVD on Amazon. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So I want to get a better version, quality version out there. The, it's funny, we, I have six 35 millimeter film prints of the film. And of course, no one shows 35 millimeter anymore. So <laughs> one has been donated to the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Science. And so awesome. it's actually in the vault now. So that's that's cool. the, at least it'll be there. I mean, I'll apply someone to the Library of Congress because they always like cooking stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, that's so cool. <laughs> for sure, when the relaunch happens, by all means, that would be great because um, when it first came out, it pretty much it played at a few art theaters and it played at a few film festivals. And I had a distributor pick it up, but um, and, the, and I think it played on um, some television overseas and stuff. But it didn't have a huge run or anything like that. So this might be an opportunity to get it out there in a big way. Yeah, well, we we definitely stumbled across it, and Dan had seen it first. I saw it second, and I just started texting all these guys, and I go, Dan, this is, you know, we were doing it as research, sort of, or I certainly was, and then we were all just kind of stunned with how well it was put together, and Mark and I are definitely cinephiles, and Dan's partly a cinephile. He says he isn't. I'm adapted, yeah. I fake it. I sell it. But we were... (laughs) We were just loving it. We were like, this is this is great. So yep. sincerely, we loved it. Thank you for your work. Oh, cool. That's great to hear. No, thank you so much, Stan, for the generosity of your time, for hanging out with us for a while. So yeah, look forward to that coming on to moving on to streaming service. It's funny, when we were talking about before, I was like, I wonder if infomercials themselves could ever move on to a streaming service. Like, I mean, that's the thing, right? I know I would watch it, but then again, this is these are my problems. I'm not trying to bring you guys down with me any farther. But I was like, Oh man, if they just had the Jan Muller collection on Amazon for like 80 bucks, but like, yeah, I'll buy it all. Like, let me just let me get every Jan infomercial. I'm buying the Arnold one. Yeah. Yeah. It actually has happened. We just didn't notice it. What happened was Goop has a show on Netflix. That's an infomercial, basically, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. Yep. That's yeah. I mean, it's a lifestyle. Of course, that's the whole, the whole thing, but it's just a different way of marketing. You know? but, yep. Yeah. When streaming yeah. starts maturing and they need to have channels that make money, you never know. They they could the paid advertising could come back and um, they would be wanting to you know switch stream stuff like that. Yeah. And it'd be a free part of yeah. the service. Yeah. yeah. We'll all be ready. Yeah. All of yeah. us. We're, we're more than ready. <laughs> right now, Hulu and um and HBO Max have an ad supported version. Now it's just Fox, but you know, yeah. it started, the ads have started to creep in there now, so who knows what, hmm. what was it all. Oh, man. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. If it ever branches out to an infomercial channel, you guys might never see me again. I don't know. That might be an <laughs> issue. But yeah, Stan, I can't believe that you were so closely related to my first great bit as a kid was bastardizing Jan's second servings thing from the food saver. 
So we're coming home from dinner out and, you know, awkward silence in the car. And I start doing the mouth with the clamshell container. Second servings of love. <laughs> and it's the first time I got the whole car to laugh. It's the first time I thought I was funny. And I can't believe I'm talking to one of the architects who helped set that up and was working with Jan and Nancy. Mm -hmm. So listen. So Stan, what I'm trying to say is, this is your fault, okay? We're Jan Muller. I take full responsibility. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you again, Stan. This was great. Look forward to, to staying in touch. And, you know, we got to get to kind of your, your full infomercial bibliography so we can make sure that if we ever come across, we're going to try and poke holes in any of your work that we can. I want to know what that one is, right? <laughs> with that product <laughs> that was one of the early fresh savers oh the fresh oh. saver wow. Yeah, wow. Really oh with the bag yeah that so you put you know yeah you pull the air out of oh my yeah. wow come on <laughs> your office is like my favorite place That's <laughs> yeah i'm like i can see all this Dan started his collection so he's oh, cool. try to catch up to you yeah. you know what i yeah. mean and is uh, the day um, I, I don't have space for it anymore. I will send you. I have an original, and I maybe you have one already. I, I, you know, I shouldn't put my foot in front of uh, my mouth here. But <laughs> if you don't have one, I'll send you one of the original rotisseries that, that Lester Morris pitched. Oh my whoa, God! Whoa. That would whoa. be that would be amazing. You can't say no to that. It still works. Yeah. It still works. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah wow! Oh, that would be incredible. No, mm -hmm. I honestly can say I do not have one of those. Okay, the first cool, thing yeah. I got was QRB, and my wife is like, that is poison. <laughs> Why is it in her house with our small children? I'm like, because of the infomer. She's like, can you just buy golf clubs and like just buy buy the controller, buy the, the ugly hammer putter. Mm -hmm. Don't bring poison in the house. But a classic rotisserie. Now we're talking. Yep. Right. <laughs> Man, Stan, thank you again. Yeah, thanks again, Stan. I can't say thanks enough. I'm pumped up. I'm going to watch it again tonight, probably, because again, <laughs> illness, but... Man, thank you for confirming a lot of what we suspected and uh, educating us on a lot of stuff too. This is fantastic. My pleasure. Thanks again for your interest, guys. It was really a pleasure to do yeah. doing yeah. this. Thanks, awesome. Stan. Likewise. Great stuff. Bye-bye. Stan the man. Guy was cool. That was very mm -hmm. enlightening yeah. to understand the perspective that this guy, his illness, I think, was kind of thrust upon him where mine was, you know, kind of more of a choice that I developed over time. But the reason that he got into making this documentary is because he was around these people. He's been an infomercialist, mm -hmm. new title, congratulations, for so long that he's like, wait, there's something incredibly interesting here that needs to be properly captured presented and cataloged and that's what led to it i thought jumping off there was kind of stunning to me because it hadn't occurred to me that that might be how he got into it it hadn't occurred to me like oh maybe this guy's a massive infomercial producer <laughs> creator it's like oh shit yeah yep <laughs> as they say every film that's made it's a miracle that it gets made i think it was cool the way we stumbled across this thinking that it was just sort of another piece of the infomercial puzzle and then realizing, oh, this is a very well-done movie and deserves some respect, then I think he really got a kick out of that. Yeah. He wants to be an artist. He knows what pays the bills. Mm -hmm. He's been very, very successful, and he knows that business like it's nobody's business. Wordplay. And so he took artistry. He took necessity. And he made pitch people. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. 
but it, you could be that guy and it could be not great. Mm. That's why I kind of want to just pump the brakes on there and be like, whoa, this was really good. Like, yeah. <laughs> Dan liked it already because Dan likes anything involved with yeah. infomercials. Mark and I are just like, are, are you watching this? This is this is good stuff here. Does Dan realize this is actually a good documentary? It's probably not. Anyways. <laughs> no, it's just, it's not that. It's just that you're like, uh, you know. I'm constantly pitching infomercials to you guys because my brain is somewhat broken. He's in the underworld. He thinks the mafia, what they do is good for society like that's where dan yeah. lives dave and i are yeah you're the kennedy brothers yeah i think we're uh <laughs> sure no yeah dan's like he's in the pitch people mafia like he's like oh yeah, yeah one yeah. recruit at a time yeah stan stanny stanny uh stanny came out he he's, he had some words with some people and uh some people weren't happy about flicking that. bugs mm-hmm. yeah the point you make dave about this potentially in a different set of hands goes way differently and way poorer mm-hmm. i think is reflective of the style he mentioned for the infomercials he produces, which is let stars be stars. Don't tell them how to do their job. Just put the pieces around them to make things for them as easy as possible. And thinking about that now from the documentary, like, oh yeah, there's no like horseshoe in message or it's more like, here's your history of how these people got here. But like, Look at what it takes to actually do this. This is bananas. Could you do this? Because that was kind of what I started doing. And again, likely or largely my own problems here. We're thinking about, can I do that? Uh, Maybe. That seems like a grind. But, you know, different set of circumstances, a few different breaks or non-breaks. Like, maybe that's the road you go. Maybe you go the fair circuit and just try to fucking bust it until you make it. And to just kind of present it to say look at the people that come out of this like look at the incredible strength of these people that are able to rise to the top they're able to keep working through it but also let's not forget the middle class of these people who are busting their asses just as hard if not harder forever just to kind of stay in the fight and it's like yeah he has seen all levels of this he's seen people Mm -hmm. try to pitch products that don't work and don't get on air He's seen guys at the fairs for the three years that he was following them around to get all this Mm. footage to the ones who actually ascend and get things all the way out that are successful. It's like, yeah, he has so much more perspective and detailed knowledge than I appreciated going in. But now having the context of it, it even further emboldens and empowers the message and perspective that comes out of it. He's seen the Titans fail. He's seen the the top people in an industry that is phenomenal that's a phenomenal experience to be a part of just not something automatic but that's the life they live and like his shit just keeps knocking me back to be like it's not always gonna work you can't always just be the best you're as good as your last game like it yeah this is that world it's humbling really to stan i mean he knows i think that surviving making an entertaining infomercial is there's a formula there and it is let the people who are the greatest characters that we have at our disposal Mm -hmm. let them do it you know what i mean the client's gonna throw some things at us i'm gonna do what i do but like basically like nobody's gonna do it better than than them you know so he's steve nash yeah yeah there's a coach aspect to it don't you think like he and he said producer like remember 
I always ask him, like, who's in charge of this shit? And of course, Stan, the answer is Stan's in charge. Stan's in charge. The clients, <laughs> the marketing team is in charge, right. and the pitch person is in charge. Yeah, that's you know a what tough I mean? balance. And that's a strange marriage right there, which is that's why we're where we are. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like the Warren Buffett line, which is hire well, manage little, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. you're bringing in, and, you know, he talked about one of the, products that didn't make it like he had joe out there pitching it you know we joked oh well then it was never gonna go right like you got the best in the world to do this like you know he said even this is tough sledding right he said what 20 percent probably are the ones that are actually hits not that just make it on air Mm -hmm. but that make it on air and then recoup and actually generate revenues and yeah a lot of it's a zero-sum game at best so to be on that that other side it's like well You want to trust somebody with that type of credibility who's been like, I've been in all these wars. I've done all these things. I've been doing this since the early 80s. If you'd like to sell Mm -hmm. some shit, I know you're right. And I love the stuff he mentioned about filmmakers who have lowered their standards to make infomercials and the infomercials being shit. Because he's like, there's a reason they're done this way. Like, And that was one of the things that we always kind of suspected. It's like, well there's a reason that this happens this way. Like this is, mm-hmm. it's not just if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's also, there's some specific logic and methodology to this madness, which is saying, if you want to really prompt action, it can't just be beautiful because just beautiful can just be enjoyed passively. This isn't passive uh-huh. engagement. You're trying to solicit. You need active engagement. So you have to come at people. You have to force them to move, which is, a totally different sport and it's very different from really any other type of long form presentation that you're going to be putting on film. Yeah. You got me all pumped up when they have a successful infomercial, like commercially successful. Imagine how good that feels as the filmmaker or, or the producer yeah. of that. Like all the pieces came together. He just got me excited. Like this dude shared some pretty, really nice successes on things and yeah. like, validated his career and like made this documentary like it's a pretty special run he kind of went on i think it's cool yeah he made a very good movie yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, right like first and foremost that's not easy to do can we learn a lesson here is it that we should let the talent do the talking nah nah (laughs) (laughs) nah we're good it's more fun this way it's more fun if we can keep digging ourselves some holes and trying to crawl back out of them one at a time and talk to the people Just keep throwing fruit. yeah exactly like, no no let's shit on these people and then talk to them and apologize about it but i mean the record shows we were incredibly and rightly complimentary of pitch people from the start which is good we're on the right side of history they're all the way and joe follower oh yeah team joe we're pro joe all day all day every day twice on sundays especially if you're using h2o back I love the Joe Fowler dirty carpet thing. That's so funny. We should ask him if he bought lunch, but yeah. (laughs) Uh, I bet you he thought of like more fucked up stuff to do the carpet. (laughs) Can't even go there. Yeah, EPA is definitely listening to this. I hear you, Dave. Let's back off that. But yeah, I mean, I also don't feel like we left a lot uncovered with things with Stan because he was such an encyclopedia. I look forward to uh, keeping him in the fold for things. And man, if that rotisserie shows up in short order, whew. Fourth of July is going to be smoky in the house. Yeah. <laughs> a Lester Morris rotisserie mm-hmm. offer. Man, mm-hmm. can't top that. Yep. Guys, anything else other than just heaps of thanks to Uncle Stan? Probably go Dodgers. He's probably Dodgers fans. So go yeah. Dodgers. I say go 
Go to the Big E. That's my clue. Yeah, man. Dave, you might. Yeah, I wonder if you ever stepped on Stan's shoes at the Big E. It's a possibility. I don't know. I'll be there this hey, year. Yeah. Man, the four runs of the Muscuzio pitch. Mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest mm-hmm. revelation was I was like, uh, I was so convinced that that was one run straight through of the Jerry Muscuzio. He's like, no, that was like four different pitches. I was just like, that's his editing. He edited the fuck out of that thing. Perfect. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, he schooled me on that. That was fantastic. Shout out Jerry Muscuzio. Yeah. Fan of the pod. Jer- oh, no. <laughs> we'll walk this to Jerry at the Big E next year. We'll see him in the Big Ten. But yeah, that's it. Can't do any better than that, kids. You're welcome. All right. That's it for me. I'm going to bed. Bye, guys. Boy, boy. Have fun at your apartment tonight. Bye, Stan. Bye, guys. Have fun at your apartment. Thank you all for tuning in. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, or follow on your preferred podcast medium. And for all things Call Now, visit callnowpodcast.com. And if you want to connect with the boys, you can find them at Call Now Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or send them an email at callnowpodcast at gmail.com. And if you can't fight the urge to pick up the phone and call now, you can leave them a voice message at 617-356-7439. If you call in the next 30 minutes, you might just be the next star of Call Now. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you tune in next time to Call Now. This has been a B-plus effort. We'll try harder next time.